Nether Words Read for you by Charles Logan Two-Handed Engine by Henry Cutner and C.L. Moore Part 2 Danner heard every sound suddenly die out around him. His fork was halfway to his lips, but he paused, frozen, and looked up across the table and the restaurant towards the door. The fury was taller than a man. It stood there for a moment, the afternoon sun striking a blinding spot of brightness from its shoulder. It had no face but it seemed to scan the restaurant leisurely, table by table. Then it stepped in under the doorframe, and the sunspot slid away, and it was like a tall man encased in steel, walking slowly between the tables. Danner said to himself, laying down his untasted food, Not for me. Everyone else here is wondering. I know! And like a memory in a drowning man's mind, clear, sharp, condensed into a moment, yet every detail clear, he remembered what Hartz had told him. As a drop of water can pull into its reflection a wide panorama condensed into a tiny focus, so time seemed to focus down to a pinpoint the half-hour Danner and Hartz had spent together in Hartz's office with the walls that could go transparent at the push of a button. He saw Hartz again, plump and blonde, with the sad eyebrows, a man who looked relaxed until he began to talk, and then you felt the burning quality about him, the air of driven tension that made even the air around him seem to be restlessly trembling. Danner stood before Hartz's desk again in memory feeling the floor hum faintly against his soles with the heartbeat of the computers. You could see them through the glass, smooth, shiny things with winking lights and banks like candles burning in colored glass cups. You could hear their faraway chattering as they ingested facts, meditated them, and then spoke in numbers like cryptic oracles. It took men like hearts, to understand what the oracles meant. I have a job for you, Hart said. I want a man killed. Oh, no, Danner said. What kind of fool do you think I am? Now, wait a minute. You can use money, can't you? What for? Danner asked bitterly. A fancy funeral? A life of luxury. I know you're not a fool. I know damned well you wouldn't do what I ask unless you got money and protection. That's what I can offer. Protection. Danner looked through the transparent wall at the computers. Sure, he said. No, I mean it. I... Hartz hesitated, glancing around the room a little uneasily, as if he hardly trusted his own precautions for making sure of privacy. This is something new, he said. I can redirect any fury I want to. Oh, sure, 
Danner said again. It's true. I'll show you. I can pull a fury off any victim I choose. How? That's my secret, naturally. In effect, though, I found a way to feed in false data, so the machines come out with the wrong verdict before conviction, or the wrong orders after conviction. But that's dangerous, isn't it? Dangerous? Hartz looked at Danner under his sad eyebrows. Well, yes, I think so. That's why I don't do it often. I've done it only once, as a matter of fact. Theoretically, I'd worked out the method. I tested it just once. It worked. I'll do it again to prove to you I'm telling the truth. After that, I'll do it once more to protect you. And that will be it. I don't want to upset the calculators any more than I have to. Once your job's done, I won't have to. Who do you want killed? Involuntarily, Hartz glanced upward, towards the heights of the building where the top-rank executive offices were. O'Reilly, he said. Danner glanced upward, too, as if he could see through the floor and observe the exalted shoe soles of O'Reilly, controller of the calculators, pacing an expensive carpet overhead. It's very simple, Hart said. I want his job. Why not do your own killing, then, if you're so sure you can stop the Furies? Because that would give the whole thing away, Hart said impatiently. Use your head. I've got an obvious motive. It wouldn't take a calculator to figure out who profits most if O'Reilly dies. If I saved myself from a fury, people would start wondering how I did it. But you've got no motive for killing O'Reilly. Nobody but the calculators would know, and I'll take care of them. How do I know you can do it? Simple. Watch. Hartz got up and walked quickly across the resilient carpet that gave his steps a falsely youthful bounce. There was a waist-high counter on the far side of the room with a slanting glass screen on it. Nervously, Hartz punched a button, and a map of a subsection of the city sprang out in bold lines on its surface. I've got to find a sector where a fury's in operation now, he explained. The map flickered and he pressed the button again. The unstable outlines of the city streets wavered and brightened and then went out as he scanned the sections fast and nervously. Then a map flashed on, which had three wavering streaks of colored light crisscrossing it, intersecting at one point near the center. The point moved very slowly across the map, at just about the speed of a walking man reduced to miniature and scale with the street he walked on. Around him the colored lines wheeled slowly keeping their focus always steady on the single point. There, Hart said, leaning forward to read the printed name of the street. A little drop of sweat fell from his forehead onto the glass, and he wiped it uneasily away with his fingertip. There's a man with a fury assigned to him. All right now, I'll show you. Look here. Above the desk was a news screen. Hartz clicked it on and watched impatiently while a street scene swam into focus. Crowds, traffic noises, 
people hurrying, people loitering. And in the middle of the crowd, a little oasis of isolation, an island in the sea of humanity. Upon that moving island, two occupants dwelt, like a Crusoe and a Friday, alone. One of the two was a haggard man who watched the ground as he walked. The other islander in this deserted spot was a tall, shining, man-formed shape that followed at his heels. As if invisible walls surrounded them, pressing back the crowds they walked through, the two moved in an empty space that closed in behind them, opened up before them. Some of the passers-by stared. Some looked away in embarrassment or uneasiness. Some watched with frank anticipation, wondering, perhaps, at just what moment the Friday would lift his steel arm and strike the Crusoe dead. Watch now, Hartz said nervously. Just a minute. I'm going to pull the fury off this man. Wait. He crossed to his desk, opened a drawer, bent secretively over it. Danner heard a series of clicks from inside, and then the brief chatter of tapped keys. Now, Hart said, closing the drawer. He moved the back of his hand across his forehead. Warm in here, isn't it? Let's get a closer look. You'll see something happen in a minute. Back to the news screen. He flicked the focus switch, and the street scene expanded. The man and his pacing jailer swooped upward into close focus. The man's face seemed to partake subtly of the impassive quality of the robots. You would have thought they had lived a long time together, and perhaps they had. Time is a flexible element, infinitely long sometimes in a very short space. Wait until they get out of the crowd, Hart said. This mustn't be conspicuous. There, he's turning now. The man, seeming to move at random, wheeled at an alley corner and went down the narrow, dark passage away from the thoroughfare. The eye of the news screen followed him as closely as the robot. So you do have cameras that can do that, Danner said with interest. I always thought so. How's it done? Are they spotted at every corner, or is it a beam transmit? Never mind, Hart said. Trade secret. Just watch. We'll have to wait until- No! No! Look, he's going to try it now! The man glanced furtively behind him. The robot was just turning the corner in his wake. Hartz darted back to his desk and pulled the drawer open, his hand poised over it. His eyes watched the screen anxiously. It was curious how the man in the alley- though he could have no inkling that other eyes watched, looked up and scanned the sky, gazing directly for a moment into the attentive hidden camera and the eyes of Hartz and Danner. They saw him take a sudden, deep breath and break into a run. From Hartz's drawer sounded a metallic click. The robot, which had moved smoothly into a run the moment the man did, checked itself awkwardly, and seemed to totter on its steel for an instant. It slowed. 
It stopped like an engine grinding to a halt. It stood motionless. At the edge of the camera's range, you could see the man's face, looking backward, mouth open with shock as he saw the impossible happen. The robot stood there in the alley, making indecisive motions as if the New Order's hearts pumped into its mechanisms were grating against inbuilt orders in whatever receptor it had. Then it turned its steel back upon the man in the alley and went smoothly, almost sedately, away down the street, walking as precisely as if it were obeying valid orders, not stripping the very gears of society in its aberrant behavior. You got one last glimpse of the man's face looking strangely stricken, as if his last friend in the world had left him. Hearts switched off the screen. He wiped his forehead again. He went to the glass wall and looked out and down, as if he were half afraid the calculators might know what he had done. Looking very small against the background of the metal giants, he said over his shoulder, Well, Danner? Was it well? There had been more talk, of course, more persuasion, a raising of the bribe. But Danner knew his mind had been made up from that moment. A calculated risk. And worth it. Well worth it. Except. In the deathly silence of the restaurant, all motion had stopped. Mm -hmm.